Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. So as we're looking to start the show, I was listening to some old episodes and we were trying to do the. Hi, David. Hi, Matthew. And what a crushing failure that was on both I'm of our parts. Fine. That's not pointing any fingers. Uh, but I but well, kind of. Well, I, I yeah, I'm if I point a finger at you, there's three more pointing back at me. Let's get real here. But it occurred to me that maybe it's all right. TV Talkaholics for August 2021. And we are now off the wagon. Oh, huh? oh yes. I love a good wagon reference. No matter <laughs> when, no matter when you're going to get it, David. But uh. <laughs> I like so, this. Did you? Um, well, Beans of Boston. I, <laughs> Matthew, I am surprised. You hear the delight in my voice when I say, uh, not only was I not mad at this, I was like, this was enjoyable. I, I wish this might have gone on. This had some potential if it hadn't been produced by Gary Marshall and company. That's my only gripe about this. I thought that would be the one thing that you would like about it was that it was and directed by the guy who directed Laverne and Shirley, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, even more extreme than the facts of life. I loved Laverne and Shirley. It was more my favorite show as a kid. It was the show I was obsessed with. And then facts of life came on board and all that. But even back then, I was aware Laverne and Shirley, the quality started to dip a bit. And now as an adult, I, I really find the majority of Laverne and Shirley just god awful and borderline unwatchable. Like the extreme of my love and the extreme of unwatchable, that range is so much wider than what we're experiencing now with my yeah. facts of life obsession and now disappointment. So when you tell me that Gary Marshall is at the helm of something, I think of happy days. I think of, as Ken Reed always says, uh, TV shows that are period shows that forget their period shows. They just start existing in a, this, this generic nondescript time frame where, oh yeah, we put a leather jacket on Fonzie, but we'll do an entire episode where Marion cuts her hair. And it's like, yeah, she's not wearing the updo anymore. And now she is wearing literally a 1979 housewife hairdo. Yeah. Uh, huh? <laughs> and you've heard there, me talk. Especially go, go. with this one, especially with this one. I, I feel the same way about Alf. Like I lived for Alf as a kid. Oh. I watched it every weekend. I remember having to go to a diabetic support group meeting and they wanted to change them to Monday nights. And I remember sitting in the meeting at like age 11 going, um, sorry, Monday night is Alf night. Yep. <laughs> but, <laughs> yep. but watching it now, it is unwatchable. Oh my God. Um, oh my God. But I also loved, are you being served? David? Yes. When we first talked about doing this, which, by the way, uh, dear Tutti Fruities, welcome to the show. Uh, we're talking about Beans of Boston, which was a 1979 pilot uh, for an attempt at doing an American version of the British hit Are You Being Served? 
And uh, it did not go to series. CBS opted not to pick it up. So all that remains is this one singular episode that CBS had paid for. So they said, fuck it, we're running it and we're selling sponsorship and taking the money. So on uh, May the 5th, is it? Uh, May the 5th of 1979 is when we have the one time that CBS aired it. And as a result of it being this lone pilot floating in the ether, it is listed on IMDb as a TV movie. <laughs> oh. A 30-minute TV movie. So there it is. And I'm uh, very confused by the timeline, David. Like, when was this filmed? When was Different Strokes? When was Facts of Life? Because Mrs. Garrett in this episode, Charlotte Ray looks like season four Mrs. Garrett, mm. not the big bubble orange hair that she yeah. had on different strokes in the first season of Facts of Life. So I don't, when was this? And what, like, was she just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck? I mean, like, wasn't well, she already on different strokes when this was filmed? Uh, yes, she was on Different Strokes when this aired. Different Strokes started in 78. So Different Strokes was running. And maybe that might have been the only reason. Maybe by May, they knew they were spinning off Charlotte Ray into her own series. Maybe someone at Hollywood ha had some insider information, which is what made CBS say, well, over at NBC, they apparently like her. So we'll, we'll run this show. But typically, you know, pilots are in the can way ahead of time. And they go through, I think, many dozens of pairs of eyes before the network decides not to pick it up. And then it will sit. So I have reason to assume this predates different strokes. This was in the can by the summer of 78. Um, and you hear about pilot season in Hollywood. Yeah. This likely was... Uh, she probably did the pilot to different strokes. She did the pilot to this. Um, and, you know, like, like you said, throw into the wall and see what sticks. I think different strokes though, might've been a more sure bet because of Conrad Bain having already some sort of a commitment. Huh? See, I don't know. Cause again, she, the, the look of this show does not look 1979 to me. It looks 1980 three or 84. I would agree. Yeah, it is very weird. And she does look better. It's better hair. She is slimmer than she was on different strokes in season one of the facts of life. Not as slim as season two, but you're right. She does look like season three. I'd say season yeah. four, because season three was the, was the dark, dark copper hair, tight balloon, not hairdo season. And, um, but yeah, you're, you're right that I did look at her too and say, oh, okay, I expected more of Mrs. Garrett, strawberry blonde, big ass bubble do. Yeah, yeah. And again, one of those things that they changed from the British version that I love watching these things because I spend my whole time wondering why would they change that? Why would they change that? Like uh, there's certain things, you know, in Hollywood, obviously they get changed. Like you watch... Hairspray the movie, the movie version of the musical. And it's like they completely changed the whole point of the movie and the show by not having Tracy get arrested. Tracy mm -hmm. runs away. And mm -hmm. then we celebrate her for her 
for her civil rights. Wait, wait she ran away. True. The whole point is she gets arrested with everybody else and is and is one with everybody else. So it's like little things that they changed in this that I can't figure out why they changed. And I I will never know. <laughs> yeah, you wish we could. Yeah. Figure out why those decisions are. I was obsessed with uh, even at a young age with the same thing with adaptation and all that. And I forget what station started running Man About the House it was probably PBS. And watching Man About the House and seeing how the pilot of that was almost verbatim what they copied and pasted into Three's Company. Yeah. And there are certain jokes where you're like, oh, I get it. Like at one point, Jack when in the original Robin says to one of the girls, do either of you have a razor I can use? Meaning he needs to shave. And the joke is one of the girls walks in and hands her her razor and says, here. And she just says, I don't mind if you don't. Ha ha ha. It's an okay laugh. By the time Three's company rolls around, Jack says, does one of you have a razor? And Chrissy jumps and says, oh, I do, I do. And she runs into the bathroom and hands him a flicker. Remember the flicker, that disc thing with the rotating blades that was yeah. specifically designed for a woman to shave her legs. You would not use it as a man to shave your face. It was a very funny visual joke. And I was like, oh, what? well done, guys. Yeah. So little stuff like that. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, but uh, let's talk about this. And uh, yeah. you suggested this as a uh, proclaimed, self-proclaimed expert of Are You Being Served? I really watched very little of it. So, I loved it. And I know it is a niche market. I get it. It is <laughs> very broad. And But I love, I what do they call it? A, what do they call it? Anglophile people that are. Yeah, you're an Anglophile. British. Yeah. I, because I watch Gogglebox, David, and which is just British people watching TV. I, I don't know what that is. It's a show that's been on the in the UK. And it's just they film people watching TV and they're British. So they are adorable. Yeah. Hilarious for for reasons that they don't even mean to be. Mm -hmm. And I, charming and kind and fun. You know how like when you watch British Bake Off and it's like taking a Xanax. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. It's so just everybody's lovely and everybody's kind. It's a show where they just film people watching TV and I cannot get enough of it. I cannot. <laughs> we still, as Americans, are we're still quite hypnotized by an English accent. It's really it is kind of magical. And I've, I've always been the same way. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're like, what do they call reaction videos? Is that the, the YouTube? Yeah, yeah. I'll send, I'll send you one to watch. Okay. It is, I know it sounds so stupid, but it just like, they, they'll like show a house and they'll be like, from Leeds, Izzy and Warner. And then they show these two girls who are sisters who are sitting there and like they'll sh they'll be watching a show about pot and like out of nowhere she'll go THC that's what gets you stoned <laughs> it's not funny she doesn't get a reaction from her sister out of it but the way she says it and and like they watch Strictly come dancing and she goes and just because of the accent she goes oh thank god for Strictly <laughs> and just I cannot get enough of it. I will send you a, a, a link and you will, I, 
I okay. you may not like it as much, but but I love the British humor and I love that I was watching this as a kid and I remember like, you know, Mrs. Slocum's pussy jokes. And <laughs> the the way they're delivered. And yeah. it just I I love it. And I'm fascinated with British society. And that's the big thing that I don't think made this show. I'm sorry, I'm getting way ahead of myself. No, no, do it. It's the one thing that I think ruined this show for American audiences because we in America don't have the the class distinction Mm -hmm. as as strictly as British people do. So, like, there are jokes in the British version where they talk to Miss Brahms and she says, I live in a detached house, (laughs) which is garbage to somebody like Captain Peacock, but to someone who's dead common, that would be like a move up. You know what I mean? Like, so the British people are like, oh, a detached house. She might as well live in a caravan, which is a trailer in America, by the way. Good to know. Good to know. Um, so I, it's like the, the immediately the class distinction that made Grace Brothers and Are You Being Served funny or gave them so much of their humor is gone already from from the American version. Yeah. And, and it's it's weird because we are supposedly a classless society, but we know that's not the case. But, yeah, it is not nearly as much of a, a big part of our of our culture. And I used to, I grew up watching, I loved Benny Hill as a kid. Benny Hill was fucking hilarious, man. And how he wrote 20 jokes and made 30 years of TV shows out of them. I I do not know, but he managed to do it. And uh, it was, it was always one of my favorites. And then as I got older into high school, that's when Monty Python came in. And that was like, that was, that changed everything. I'm a big, 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 big Python freak. Anyway. Um, let me talk a little bit nuts and bolts about this, and then you can really get me into the whole, are you being served? Uh, this is a a pilot. So it has the thankless role, thankless task of trying to give us a show and a plot that gives us a sense of what the show would be about, but it also has to present us with the characters quickly telegraph who they are and their relationships and it's it is no small feat. So for all the critiques we have of the writing, it's it's really rough. And uh, as far as pilots go, I've told you before, there are successful TV shows out there that had very long runs where the pilot was way worse than what we're seeing here. But uh, like I said, if Gary Marshall was at the helm, I feel like the quality would have eroded very quickly over time. Because honestly, by the late seven, Gary Marshall was done. He was he 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 only had so many hours in a day to count his money. He couldn't he couldn't get over to the TV studio. Yeah, so and he moved and he had moved to um, movies by then, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he certainly wanted to, I think. Yeah. So because this is a pilot, what they did is they took an episode of Are You Being Served and heavily adapted it. It's actually an episode from the third season of Are You Being Served, originally run in April of 1975, called German Week. And 
Uh, it is also on YouTube. I recommend watching it. You see a lot of the jokes uh, are remained or were brought over from that version, brought across the pond, as it were. But it's a 29-minute, no commercials. I mean, their sitcoms take up the full half hour in England. And this has the distinction of an actual German couple coming into the shop as customers. And they end up getting <coughs> fairly outraged because the all the German stuff that the, the staff are trying to push on them, they're like, this is all tourist shit that English people wear. Why would we from Germany come here to England and buy this and go home with it? That, you know, and they're right. But in this couple, uh, the woman was played by Joanna Lumley. Yeah. Pre-Abfab, post-Bond. But yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so it was interesting to see her in it. But that scene and those characters are not in the American version. Uh, the original series, Are You Being Served, was created by David Croft and Jeremy Lloyd. I think they wrote most of them, too. Yeah. And but so uh, was this version, wasn't it? This was produced by them. And yeah. because of the original script, they are credited as two of the writers. Yeah. But there's also two other American writers credited. And it's interesting because it looks like we have a sort of young upstart and uh, an older veteran with these two writers. We've got... Sheldon Bull, the youngster, this is uh, only his second writing credit. His first credit being a story editor on the Betty White show from 77 to 78, which was the unsuccessful attempt to give Betty White a different show with a different character, but that was still the same as Sue Ann Nivens, and it, it didn't work, sadly. Uh, but this is only his second writing credit. But after this, he would go on to develop and or write and or produce Newhart, Coach, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and almost all of the episodes of Mom, the Anna Faris, Allison Janney series that just ended like last year. Yeah. So he's still working. He's still in it. So I imagine he was quite young when he did this. If he was 20 when he did Beans of Boston, that would put him in his 60s right now. Uh, and likely he's even older. But the veteran, other fourth writer listed, is Bill Idelson. Uh, he was born in 1919, so he was around 60 when they made this episode. His credits go way back. He wrote for The Dick Van Dyke Show, Andy Griffith, Bewitched, Gomer Pyle, Love American Style, Happy Days, MASH. And he also acted occasionally and Help me remember, Matthew, I feel like I've, remen I, I've referenced this character before. On Dick Van Dyke, he played Herman Glimsher, who was Sally's on-again, off-again boyfriend, the Rosemary character. Didn't I mention that? Didn't that character come up somewhere in an earlier Let's Face the Facts? I'm not sure. But uh, OK, listeners, this is up to you. I cannot go back and listen to 140 episodes of my show, much as I love the sound of my own voice. But um, yeah, so Bill Idelson uh, had been an actor. And like I said, he was clearly the veteran here. But uh, putting them two together and adapting the script, like I said, this was fun. I laughed. I genuinely laughed at certain points not being familiar with are you being served okay that was my next question i was wondering if you had seen the original that it was from because no. it's like a, how a lot of people 
watched the first episode of The Office. It is almost word for word at the original British office. Yeah. Um, but this isn't word for word. No. But again, it's weirdly changed. So keep going. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, now next thing you know, I always love to do, Matthew, is talk about what else was on television that night. Oh, May 5th. to talk about the girls' ages. Okay. No, no. <laughs> May 5th of 1979. I mm. would love to talk at length about what else was on, mm. but I cannot. Why? Because our beloved TVTango.com site doesn't have anything listed. It doesn't even have this listed. Uh, So all I know is that on this night of television, it was a Saturday night. uh, And so there was nothing listed in the eight to nine o'clock block, nothing listed for CBS. And that's the other weird thing is that this is a Gary Marshall show on CBS. Gary Marshall, everything he did was on ABC. Mm. If you look at Happy Days and all of the spinoffs affiliated with it, but um what we do have is we know at nine o'clock in the nine o'clock hour, ABC, Love Boat, and then Fantasy Island. And then on NBC, BJ and the Bear, followed by Super Train. <laughs> <laughs> so you lucked out this month. I don't have much to talk about there. Um, but I hope we are able to make up for all of the time I would have eaten up discussing that with our discussion of the commercials that still remain in this recording that we posted from YouTube. I have two comments about the commercials. I have two two commercials that I commented about. Do you want to talk about the theme song? The the theme song. Wow. See, okay. As you watch this, and maybe it's just because you're knowing it's going to fail, that you already have this preconceived ideas. The title is wrong, and the theme song is wrong. I, I, as I yeah. as I sat down, Beans of Boston, it, I I get it, but it's one of those that you have to see it spelled out to understand, mm-hmm. because it is Bean E B E A N E possessive. Yeah, Beans of Boston. When you think of Boston and you're thinking of beans, it, you know what I mean. It's like Boston's baked beans. The musical fruits. So, so already you're it's a mind fuck with the name. I, I get it's cute. What was wrong with are you being served? Like I. Yeah, I, they made an Australian version, apparently yeah. called Are You Being Served? That actually yeah. ran for a couple of years. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, why? That is so that was my problem. And then that that theme song in 1979 seemed very and I get it. You're setting up how this is an old fashioned because that's the joke with Are You Being Served is that this is a, a firm that refuses to move into the, the 20th century. Mm-hmm. But this the song is just, here's my story of my shop. I already don't care. Yeah. I already don't care. It's overlaid on the visuals. And honestly, sometimes you can cut a pilot a little bit of slack because sometimes... They, they don't have the money to do a theme song. They'll just put some doofer up. Even Seinfeld, the opening credits 
sequence, the logo didn't look the same. But uh, with this, it's like, it's, it looks very much like Cheers. It's like vintage drawings yeah. of this old timey department store. And over the different dissolves of it from slightly different angles, you see bigger buildings popping up next to it until the final image is this little tiny 10, you know, story store or whatever, surrounded by skyscrapers, how it's just been swallowed up by progress and time. Uh, And I like that. That was clever. Like I said, even though the opening was kind of like, okay, this is feeling a little bit cheersy. But yeah, it's Tom Poston singing it as his character, whom we are going to meet soon. But it's Tom Poston, who is 58, Supposed to be playing a man in what his 80s, would you say? Yeah, like playing elderly in age makeup, and so he's singing it. Here's my store, Beans of Boston, built in 1888. (laughs) And yeah, it's like which is is a I, I can't even say it's a nod to the original because the original it wasn't to like three more years when they had young Mr. Grace died and they brought in old Mr. Grace, who was a younger man in old people's in old makeup. Yeah. And they called him old Mr. Grace. Like he was the older brother of the 8,000 year old (laughs) guy, but that didn't even happen on the original show for another three years. So I don't know why, again, why, why is Tom Poston in old people? Makeup and he's I I don't I'm not mad at him he's Tom Poston he's no, doing with what he's, he's got but fucking awesome yeah another another question like why 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 was that well there's always the question when it comes to uh, actors not playing their age there was a great article years ago probably before I even moved to Florida where the Boston Globe sat down two veteran actors in their fifties who were just guys with families living the the blue collar acting life of doing TV, film, industrial work. And it just said, they didn't know each other, just said, sit down and talk about the, the industry, the biz and your career. And it was a fascinating article. And one of them talked about, uh, they both had kids. It's like, do any of your kids want to go into this? And one of them was like, yes, my son does. And he says, I keep telling him, do all of these roles that you're doing in college. He said last year he played uncle Vanya and this other year, he's going to play this other character from a different country or of a different age or gender or whatever. And he said, I keep telling him as soon as you get out of college and into the real world, you are only going to be cast to play yourself. Particularly meaning age. You can't, your Uncle Vanya in age makeup when you're in a college production, but when you're a 22 year old actor, you, you won't even be considered the, the real world of acting, performing television, stage film is you cast the actor. That's, that is the right age. Unless it's a black person. (laughs) Unless it's a black person. Then you can have Cicely Tyson up for the same role as Rudy Huxtable. (laughs) Or on the Jeffersons and Good Times, you can have wives that are 20 to 23 years older than their husbands. (sighs) Well, just because white people ran television and white people could not tell the age of black people. That's really what it comes down to. So that's why uh, Estelle Getty on Golden Girls was so weird 
in that they aged her. Now, the smart thing is when you do need somebody really old, you're smart not to cast an 80 year old because they may not live to see season three. Uh, But on the flip side, Maude, Look at the episodes in the first couple seasons when Rue McClanahan first shows up and she's supposed to be Maude's friend, Maude's contemporary. Rue McClanahan is a decade younger than B. Arthur and they attempted initially to age Vivian and make her look older to match B. Arthur. And it is so odd. It is so fucking weird to watch now. So, um, yeah, long, long little sidebar there. But back to the thing of watching Tom Post in an age makeup is weird because that just wasn't done because it need to be done. There were funny older actors. How many veterans? Why wasn't it? You know, even Sid Caesar was probably in his 70s. He he had just done Grease. I mean, there were veteran TV film actor choices who could have maybe in their 70s and played a little bit older but not a 58 year old yeah it's like hi i'm i'm only five years away from 58 that's that's very very upsetting so i think we're ready to get into the synopsis god help us all right Um, Scene one is we're in the office of old Tom Poston, old Mr. Bean, and we are introduced to him and his young nephew comes in. The young nephew is an employee of the department store owned by the old guy, Beans of Boston. Yes, they are in Boston. And the big conundrum we're in is that since this nephew has worked there, sales on his floor, which is menswear and ladieswear, wear, uh, sales have declined dramatically. And so the nephew is afraid that he's going to lose his job and he needs to do something. Also of note, the old man is a fucking lech. And a lot of his comedy is uh, from him staring at women's tits. Which is along the original British version, except it was even grosser in the original British version. (laughs) Like, his secretary was literally like 19 years old. Yeah, it was. And like he makes a joke that his girlfriend, you'll know her. She's gorgeous and got long blonde hair and she's 60. In the British version, the actual man was in his 80s and the actress was like 19 or Oof. 20. Like they had Yikes. a secretary. Then later on, they had his nurse was with them because the man was so old. He died halfway through the um like eight yeah. season, yep. but he was so old. There was there are episodes where he has no fucking idea what's going on, mm. and it's sad to watch. But like, he's an old British dude. He gets his lines out. He gets his laugh. But like, they're helping him walk. Like he he puts his hand up, and he's literally like, "You're like, why are they making this man do this?" <laughs> but yeah, but it's like um, the the original is much more lecherous and much more sexual harassment than even this was so yeah and we're also introduced to his newest secretary a german girl named ingrid and she basically says uh yeah i'm here and i know you've got a reputation and uh so that's already well established but she still shows up in a super tight blouse and with clearly no bra on so it's like oh okay and already uh, I'm angry because the um, we've set up that there's nepotism that there isn't in the original version, which oh. again 
adds that's not, to, they're not related. It's just no, okay. Which again adds to the the class, not only the class distinction, but the level, the respect that is that we as Americans don't understand the difference between somebody working behind the counter, the lowest of or maintenance, the lowest of the low, to somebody working behind the counter, to the floor walker which is Mr. Peacock to mm -hmm. the manager, to the owner. There's all those levels of class distinction within the class distinction of Mrs. Slocum and Mrs. Brahms being the same class distinction at the store, but not the same class distinction in society. You know no. what I mean? No. So yeah. I guess, I guess if they did this now, it'd have to be like with like, Oh, well, she's a Southern girl. You know what I mean? It's like, ugh, like, oh, I'm from New York and I've, I've got to work with this Southern girl. That's the only way I could think of that they would establish like a quote unquote class distinction if they did it in America was to put people from different parts of the country together. Yeah. Because you know how New Yorkers look at Alabama people, <laughs> you know, and I'm already out. Oh, <laughs> next scene. We are in the shop, the store. And it does look a lot like the original in that we have elevators upstage. That's how people enter and leave uh, as far as customers go, which is actually kind of nice. It's quite a very handsome, uh, handsomely appointed set. And uh, we have a new sales girl get off of one elevator meeting the boss on the other. The new sales girl, her name is Shirley Brahms. Stereotypical, dumb blonde, kind of talking like this. Oh, I'm so, I can't believe I was of so many girls that were at the interview. I don't know why he picked me taking off her coat and showing that she too has big tits. Yes. And uh, the boss, Mr. Peacock, the stuffed shirt, and uh, these actors are Lorna Patterson and John Hillerman. Amazing. God, All I, I could love. get was, I wrote down, was Bernadette Peters busy um, because <laughs> we know Sally Struthers was. Because I don't know who she's playing, whether she's playing Bernadette Peters in 1979 or she's playing, because her voice and her line readings are pure Gloria from, from the first season of all in the family. Yeah. It's, she's right in that ten, timber and it's all right up here and almost Goldie Hawnish, but smarter than Goldie Hawn, not quite the dumb blonde that. Yeah. I was like, I just didn't. I mean, she was fine. She was but, fine. Well, Lorna Patterson, did you recognize her? From Airplane? Airplane and Airplane 2 in the yeah. first movie, she is the stewardess who takes the guitar and starts singing the song to entertain the sick young girl played by Love Boats, Jill Whelan, yeah. and her mother played by Joyce Bulafont. We've discussed her before. Uh, so yeah, Lorna Patterson is the one singing. There is only one river. There is only one sea. And she's a great fucking singer. Damn, she's got a voice. And uh, yeah, she should have had more of a career. I was like, I wonder why she didn't work more. She has been married to actor and director, producer Michael Lembeck since 1990. Now, John Hillerman, Magnum P.I., that's the big thing in his career. But God, is he not magnificent at playing the deadpan stuffed shirt fuss budget? Yes, but again... Why didn't they keep him as a captain in the army? Like he could like the joke about Captain Peacock was that 
he made sure you knew he was Captain Peacock because it was, again, the only thing he had that gave him any kind of status. So in this situation, I certainly would have kept him as a captain because throughout Are You Being Served, they joke, well, you worked in the kitchen. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it was like we found out that he was he was um, putting on airs like he was, I guess, a captain. But like there's comedy there. Mm. Like, oh, we call him captain, Mm, captain of, you know, like he he peeled potatoes. And (laughs) so I don't know, again, why they didn't make him keep him as a captain in the army just to give him some sort of differentiator from the other men first of all and to give him some feeling of superiority to everybody else like Mm -hmm. i don't know i wish they would have kept that but that's just me john hillerman makes a brief appearance in one of my all-time favorite comedies all-time favorite films what's up doc with barbara streisand and ryan o'neill And it's the same type of a character and he is a fucking genius. It's like one scene, you know, he was on that set for one day and he has such an impact on this movie. I I just adore him. And I never watched him on Magnum PI. So uh, this is, this is the John Hillerman. I love this type of character. Uh, As we continue to meet the staff as we're starting the day, we now meet Mrs. Slocum, played by this young-ish actress whom we had previously seen on a lot of commercials and Car 54, Where Are You? and Sesame Street. And her name is Charlotte Ray. And the joke is she's fanning her eyes and they say, "What, what are you doing? Are you all right, Mrs. Slocum? And her line, one of her first lines in the show, I bought some new eyelashes at the boutique and I'm not supposed to blink until the glue dries. The boutique. <laughs> it, it is, it's not even a, she pronounces it funny. She pronounces it wrong. <laughs> boutique. I Wow. I was noticing the some lame attempts at a Boston accent from some people like I, I, and it just never came through. It never came through. I didn't hear anything from anybody. Nobody in cheers had a Boston accent either, but so I wasn't expecting it, but I did hear, I felt like maybe it was just me hoping I did feel like um, Charlotte Ray attempted a couple times, but I think, and I'm, I've racked my brain, David, I think she was the perfect person for this part. Mm-hmm. Considering Molly Sugden from the original in in the UK, she is the perfect American counterpart of Molly Sugden had they let her be Mrs. Slocum. Yes, I agree. I think the writing was a little touch uneven. And there was a point when she was talking kind of Charlotte Ray. And then there were other times when she was trying to go for a mid-Atlantic kind of a sound when she was sort of trying to talk down to them. And I don't know if that was her. Which uh, is part of the original British version. It's part of Mrs. Slocum's character. Again, oh yeah. It's mm. like when I'm, when I'm, when I'm talking, when I'm, when I'm dressing down someone, it becomes this very big type of talking to someone. Mm. And then when you catch her off guard, it was, Get out of me face! Yeah. <laughs> no, I was so 
Um, I, I just, again, why did they change with Mrs. Slocum? Why did they change the fact that in the original British version for fucking how many seasons was it on? 13 years or something think, like that? I think like 10 seasons, but yeah, I think it was over 13 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and we keep saying seasons. We are aware that the English call seasons a series. And yeah. uh, I do not agree with that nomenclature. A series is an entire show. A season is one uh, one year's round of a show. So there. And and a series over there is six episodes, by the yeah. way. So <laughs> this thing was on for 13 years and has 69 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> 13 years and 69 episodes. Mrs. Slocum's hair was a different color every week. Mm -hmm. and never mentioned <laughs> not why never no attention was ever drawn to it or anything. not even a double take not even a not even a, an an interesting like her hair is is green this week like no it, i did not know that she the curtain would go up and her fucking hair was blue or her <laughs> hair was pink or her hair was fucking green or something one time it had the the queen was coming and it had red white and blue in it <laughs> so again just a stupid british fucking thing yeah. that um <laughs> that i is hilarious but um again i don't know why they wouldn't give her that just yeah. to play with well it, maybe it was coming down the pike but sure. I, I agree with you it is great casting and she is funny she gets all of her laughs on the show and uh, quickly we establish an adversarial relationship between her and mr peacock as well as the fact that she is older and definitely a more traditional a uh, woman of more traditional values she notices the new girl, Shirley, and certainly registers her body. And she says, Mr. Peacock, she is dressed better than I am. And he says, oh, no, she's not. It just looks better. <laughs> yeah. That's a good joke. I like it. And then um, as we continue, let's keep meeting the new staff. In comes uh, Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas. And let's just go right straight to the archetypes. Mr. Humphreys is the Flaming Queen and Mr. Lucas is the Casanova. Yes. And the original show, Mr. Lucas was the star. Oh. It, it oh. Was a, it was a pile. It was a show for um, Trevor Bannister. That's right. He does get first in the, in the credits, in the end credits. Yep. He does get top billing now that it I remember. Until, it wasn't until the second series that they realized, oh, the standouts are Mrs. Slocum and Mr. Humphreys. Mm -hmm. so, and, and also they realized it was more of an ensemble than it was. But it was all about this. Um, it was supposed to be about this Jack the Lad character named Mr. Lucas working a young guy working against the old establishment. That's what the whole point of our. Oh, OK. Was. OK. But they quickly abandoned that. And he became part of the, I mean, it became, it was running joke, but it be, it wasn't the Mr. Lucas show. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Lucas is played by Larry Bishop, a character actor who has done a lot of things and you recognize from stuff and you don't know what it is. But Mr. Humphreys is played by Laugh-In star Alan Seuss, who literally before it was fashionable, made a career of acting like a big fucking flaming queen. 
Yeah. And that yeah, continues I always, here. I always referred to him because when I saw him, I was like, he's that guy that I know I've seen him, but I have no idea what I've He's got nothing to his name other than laughing. But when I saw him, I was like, Ugh, it's like they couldn't get Charles Nelson Riley mm. or they couldn't get Charles Nelson Riley would have been perfect in that part or Paul Lind. Um, because they are so used to playing that character without tipping their cards, without yeah. tipping, without letting you know. And that was what Mr. Hum- the brilliance of Mr. Humphrey's character for 13 years. We mm. all knew he was a flaming queen, but they never once said it. Oh, in and he never. Years. Wow. And to his, I mean, we've, we've got two things going on here. I feel like the writing went a little more pointedly in that direction. The writing was very unsubtle as far as the, uh, these two characters have arrived late because Lucas had to pick up Humphreys and give him a ride to work. And Humphreys is like, oh, I've never ridden on a motorcycle before. I just reached around and held on. And then later when Lucas is talking to uh, young Mr. Bean, about the new girl and you know are you basically are you hitting that and he's like well i'm working on it and he says well she's she's totally into you you can see that you just need to make some eye contact and then he says like this so the two of them are practicing their sexy eye contact on each other and alan Sue's walks up sees the two of them looking and he just goes oh there goes my ride home i'm doing my paul in voice because that's literally yeah. what it kind of is it was written for paul land it looks like yeah but at the same time it's it it was really obvious there there really was no question about that whole thing you know at one point later when we're you know checking on the sales for the day uh the older clerk says i almost sold a german coat but the man was actually looking for something with broad shoulders in harris tweet and alan sue says aren't we all and yeah. and Alan Sue's there is no subtlety there. There is no. no subtlety. If there was a a wink or a talking out of the side of your mouth, no, 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 no. He is talking out of the front of his face into a goddamn megaphone. The British version, I feel like, and I don't think that's a word for word joke because there are a couple of them. I feel like in the British version, they wouldn't have tipped it that far. He would have said, "Story of my life." Yeah, oh, because that oh. leaves like, oh, I'm not that. And you know what I mean? It leaves a little more ambiguity to it. They're always looking for that when they when I'm not that person or it could be taken like, yeah, I'm always looking for somebody. In that. Yeah. So you I should just, be a writer, Matthew. Seriously, <laughs> this show would still be on if I were writing it. Goddamn right. It would have been. Uh, so then uh they're like, the, basically it's morning and they've got cloths over the stuff in the store. That seems really old school that they're removing cloths, like white that's, sheets. That's part of the British. That's part of the British version the as well. Traditional thing. That's, I mean, that's good. It's a visual to say the shop isn't open yet. That's actually a very smart thing from a, a dramatic standpoint. Uh, and then it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. Where, where's Mr. Granger? And then this little old man jumps up from behind the counter and a great joke. I must have fallen asleep counting these sheepskin gloves. <laughs> Not counting sheep, counting sheepskin gloves. 
And it is a little old man, an 80-year-old actor or around 80 for however long this was in the can, uh, played by Morgan Farley is his name. Did you click on it? Did you, did you look him up? I did, but I mean, it goes the, back to like... The 20s. His credits go back to 1929. He was kind of a leading man in the early days of talkies. And there are some dashing pictures of him. And uh, here's the interesting thing is that it says in his Wikipedia page, he was an out actor and activist early in the gay rights movement. He was a member of the board of One Incorporated, which was the first public gay rights organization and also put out a magazine called One Magazine. I didn't even know that in my knowledge of gay history. But uh, yeah, so he was he was gay and out and proud. He's little tiny old man. And uh, he's got interesting, when you see a little old man with perfect teeth and a lot of hair, immediately you think, oh, fake, wow. Yeah. Well, here's the deal, that hair is his. Look at oh. other pictures of him from around that time that he has a full head of hair for his entire life and career. Hmm. Amazing. Teeth, I cannot imagine, are his. But anyway, he is, he's, so, he's so sweet looking, though. I think he's adorable. I loved Mr. Um, Mr. Granger. And uh, yeah, I'd love to find some of his early films, see what, what was he like as an actor, and I'm sure playing yeah. romantic scenes with women and stuff. Um, Anyway, this basically the the staff is all here now. So uh, young Mr. Bean, I say young Mr. Bean because I can't think of his name, but it's the nephew is who I mean. Franklin. Franklin. But the old one is Frank, correct? Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> that's why, again, this nepotism is already yeah. fucking with you. And it doesn't help that this actor, as good looking as he is, is painful. Like, oh, really? He can't deliver a fucking line to save his life, David. Every scene he's in is just being dragged. <laughs> he is the sludge that they are trudging through to get through every scene. The, bless his heart. And, <laughs> and again, the, the, the sexual tension is supposed to be between Miss Brahms and Mr. Lucas, not between Miss Brahms and the manager. And yeah. the managers, like the manager is supposed to be completely unaware of the personal lives of these of these people because he's the manager. I don't buy you people are beneath me, you know, you're There's right. You're right. That level of of of, again, class distinction that just doesn't exist. So anyway. Yeah. Well, that's that's the, the that's a good point, though, as far as. Yeah, it's kind of like that's crossing the streams. Yeah. The fact that in the original series, you've got the old guy who owns the store manager and then the six staff members with Peacock being in charge of the other five. Yeah, that's the it, again, it's all about hierarchy and they're crossing those dotted lines. And it's so, and, and part of the original was like, I mean, ridiculous things like, again, showing the old establishment, Mr. Lucas, like, what the fuck is it like this for? Like, Mr. Captain Peacock as the um, as the floor walker was not allowed to wear a bowler hat. Really? The, you, you have, bowler hats are reserved for management and above. And Mrs. Slocum has her frills on her on her wardrobe 
for her around her neck. And these are supervisors' frills. You're only allowed three frills, Miss Ball, Miss Brahms, because you're not a supervisor. And it's like that oh. kind of thing. And the floor walker has to wear a red carnation that distinguishes him as the floor walker. So it's like all these kind of old school things. And a customer never went up to a a a, a person behind the counter you always had to go to the floor walker had to greet every person that came out and direct them to a person not the counter but they wow. would say that's why i was called are you being served because it, he would somebody would come out of the counter and he would say are you being served madam i'm looking for women's i'm looking for bras and they would say mrs slocum are you free i'm free and then that would that's how the hierarchy work is is gone from this so yeah it's like they're all just, I get it, I get it, but. Yeah. Well, hierarchy and, and the pageantry of it, that's, yes. that is fascinating. And this, yeah, I didn't get any of that. And having watched only the uh, German Week episode, I now that you mention it, I'm like, okay, I see that that's there just as an undertone. But over the, the duration of the series, that yeah. that must be really wow you must be really angry at this i do love the again there's a little wink to the british version with some british humor that comes through in this little scene when they're talking about um the figures because one of the episodes of of the british version is called our figures are slipping um <laughs> but it's like she said um he mr granger says nothing is happening in my trousers and Mrs. Slocum says, my underwear has been down for weeks. Mm -hmm. That's British, delightfully British humor. And yes. That's what the whole, the whole fucking 13 years of the original show was all that. And that's why Philip Nolan fucking hates it. <laughs> I used to tease him about it all the time because it's just so silly and makes me laugh. But yeah, well, that's and you fell in love with it when you were younger, when you were a kid. Yeah. Right. So that's that's part of what the whole thing is, because Philip's my age. So it could just be it didn't hit. And, and a lot of it depends on when did the shows come across the pond? 1990 is when it started showing on. Um, oh, OK. Well, that's it. See, over here. You see, by 1990, Philip Nolan and I were already out of college and, you know, working adults. We weren't consuming yeah. uh, TV and media the way the way we would have been even five years prior. So. Yeah. But yeah, Did those you, jokes. And again, you don't you don't get the joke of Mr. Humphreys when he answers the phone in this scene. You don't get it? Because, I think well, it's pretty obvious. It? What? I mean, well, because I didn't feel like Alan Suze was giving us enough of a broad depth of voice to where Mr. Humphreys in the original would be he would be talking up here and I don't know what I'm going to do afterwards. Menswear. Uh -huh. When he would answer the phone. Yeah. And I don't feel like Alan Seuss gave us enough to really plant that joke. Like, yeah, he's looking in the mirror and he says, ah, oh, that motorcycle ride just ruined my hair. Ring menswear. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It didn't, it didn't go that much. It would have been more fun if they said, okay, we're going to take the Mr. Humphreys from the English and we're going to make him even more is he or isn't like we don't know like even drop hints that he might be straight like make him more of a riddle wrapped in a in a conundrum or whatever that saying is which they did in the british version like he like there there were times when it's like oh what out with a lady friend they'd be like a lady friend and he would look at them like 
judge me. The whole thing about Mr. Humphreys was we had like he would come in wearing like punk clothes or something and you had no idea where the fuck he was last night. Like that was the big joke about that character is what is his life like outside of this fucking place because he is living. Um, And the fact that I looked it up and John Inman was like 35 when they first started the show and he looked 16. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, but um, I did like the couple winks to British humor, but they had to leave out Mrs. Slocum's reference to her pussy. Which is, not only is Mrs. Slocum and the different colors of hair iconic, pretty much anybody who has ever heard of Are You Being Served, if they know nothing else about the show, they do know Mrs. Slocum talking about her pussy. And the delivery of Molly Sugden. <laughs> it's so deadpan, so earnest. So, so honest. Just no idea. No idea what she's saying about staying at the store late for this meeting. It's like, well, this is going to be tough on my pussy. Yeah. If I'm not home at the stroke of six, my pussy's hair stands straight up on end. <laughs> or like it was cold when like the heat was out and she goes, sorry, I'm late, Captain Peacock. I had to thaw me pussy. <laughs> oh, I had to hold me pussy over the fire for a couple <laughs> hours. And it's like literally um, she calls some she calls her neighbor. She's going to be late. She goes. Um, would you do me a favor? Would you look through the letterbox? And if you can see my pussy. <laughs> and it's just so fucking good. And obviously in America could never get away yeah. with that. Not even, I mean, even if she said my cat, it wouldn't, it's a waste of, it's a wasted joke. Yeah, that um, was, that was still too racy for American television. I mean, yeah. Alan Sue's character being that flaming it, we did have Billy Crystal on soap just a couple years before. Soap started in 77. So at least we had that. And of course, the, the Charles Nelson Rileys, the the Paul Lins and all that on the, the game shows. And um, yeah. But I so, worry if it had gone on, that if it had gone on and this had been a series, if we as gay people now would look back at that and be like, Ugh, there we are, the joke. There we yeah. are. Maybe we are the cartoon character. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah. But in in the words of Harvey Firestein, visibility at any cost. Yeah. He was always and always said, he goes, I don't care if there's a big flaming screaming queen in my movies and TV. I am a big flaming screaming queen. That's (laughs) fine. I am the sissy as he would say. And um, so uh, what happens is young Mr. Bean calls a staff meeting and says, okay, sales are really bad and I've got to do something to boost our sales. And all of the other department stores in town seem to be celebrating uh, international things. They seem to each be picking a country. And so we're going to do the same thing. And therefore we are going to have a German week here. Everything here that we sell new merchandise uh, is going to be German themed. So then it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And then the stuff, I guess he's already ordered the stuff. So then it's delivered fairly quickly. Uh, The delivery man, I guess he's also just kind of the, the, the super, the, the general grunt worker uh, stock guy, the African-American gentleman, maintenance man, 
maintenance in, in British in the British version. That character is the maintenance person. He's okay. basically the we need somebody to bring stock in. We need mm-hmm. somebody to bring a display case in. We need somebody to be working on the elevator. We need somebody to he's the basically the jack of all trades. OK, he's, yeah. Well, he is the only African-American or <laughs> the only non-white member of this cast. It's Don Bexley, mostly recognizable from being in Sanford and Son. And and what did you say? He was also in the Great. spinoff? Yeah, there was a spinoff of Sanford and Son. Um, yeah. Fred Sanford's friend Grady got his own show. Yeah. It lasted well, like, uh, it was like almost as bad as... Um, Florence getting her own show off the Jeffersons. It was like one of those. The wonderful checking in. Yeah. But she was weeks later and we pretended that never happened. (laughs) Exactly. She was like, put it in my contract. I've seen this happen too much. So he brings in the stuff, the new merchandise, which is all German stuff. We do have a little bit of an exchange that at least gives him somewhat of a sense of his character where uh, Mr. Peacock says, oh, you can just put those over there, Johnson. And he says, excuse me. And he says, I work here just as you do. This is a status thing again. You're wow. Now I'm thinking in those terms. But he says, "Uh, I believe you call everybody else, Mr. My name is Mr. Johnson. And he's like, okay, fine, Mr. Johnson. And the punchline of that is, thanks, Peacock. Ha ha! And part of that character in the British version is that, again, the status is Mm -hmm. is made fun of because he's the lowly maintenance worker. But every chance they get, they they use him to remind them that he's got a union and he gets paid overtime. So he's always the one with money. He's always the one who can say like, who can actually tell these people like, go clean that off. He's like, it's my union break, suck it. Mm -hmm. And like, so it's like, again, fucking with the status quo of, and the status of um, hierarchy. Yeah. Because the floor walker is supposed to be able to tell him what to do, but he's like, union, suck my dick. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then pulls out a wad of cash and goes, how much do you need? While they're all talking about how they, they make no money, but they all feel that they're better than him because they're not maintenance people. Again, another, yeah. another level of comedy that I would like to have seen where they took it. I'm. It's interesting that they made him black. I, yeah. I, I have a feeling it would have gone in that mm. direction, more of a race yeah. thing than. Yeah, we would have heard Jive Turkey at some point pretty yeah. soon after the pilot. Well, he does come out and fucking Bojangles at the end for Christ's uh, sake. So. <laughs> in, in the German like war helmet with a spike on it, just like as an afterthought. Yeah. Oh, we're paying him, put him out there, make him dance. That's our visual button. So we do have some dialogue that is lifted from the original British one where they're looking at and, you know, making fun of all these weird German words that are on all the boxes. And we get Mrs. Slocum saying, uh, what is this? Sex Unterhosen. And then someone says Unterhosen means underwear. And she says, like panties and Mrs. I said, Mrs. Garrett, Mrs. Slocum says, I'm not selling German sex panties. And then Mr. Peacock says, sex is the word that they use in Germany for six. And then Shirley says, what do they use for sex? And he says the same thing they use here. I love it. Good. I like the jokes in this. It's really, it worked for me. How did they leave out house fart? The British version, they had to put 
they put Ausfart. Ausfart. Exit and just handed them comedy. Mrs. Slocum going it's right next to your house fart. <laughs> anyway, but, but we couldn't say fart on TV in the late seventies. But was they still... weren't saying fart. They were saying house fart. Uh, the German version for exit. We're lucky that they could say sex. Come on, let's. Uh, yeah. So the act ends with uh, the point where they're all complaining and like, I don't know about this. I think it's a lousy idea. And this is where young Mr. Bean says, look, guys, this floor is like a ship and I am the captain. I've made a decision and we're going to either sink or swim with it. And the three men behind the counter salute him. And he says, good. Thank you. And then they all start to slowly squat down behind the counter as though they are sinking. A magnificent visual joke. And I, I was there for it. I loved it. So then we come back from commercial. Old Mr. Bean is in young Mr. Bean's office. And uh, he's asking about the numbers now that we're doing this new German thing. Shirley comes in and she lies and says they don't have the numbers because the numbers are so abysmal. She knew that he wouldn't want the uncle to know that they made so, so little money. So then back to the shop, it's a, it's a staff meeting. They're keeping everybody late to do kind of a post-mortem as far as that goes. And with the failures of that day, he decides to double down. And he says, you know what? We're going to go even further with this. We're going to create a more lively atmosphere. We're going to offer people a glass of German wine when they get here. We're going to decorate it. We're going to have dancing and live music. And uh, that's pretty much it. A, a, a joke stolen from the other one. They're trying to think of German things and the the ditzy one that's uh, Sh- Shirley, is it? Miss Brahms, yeah. Miss Miss Brahms says, wasn't Frankenstein German? You know, the guy with the nuts in his neck. Cut to all of the men in a perfect tableau and in unison, they all just go bolts. The guy with the nuts in his neck. Yeah. Um. That was pretty freaking funny. I'm sorry. It was funny. I laughed. And again, the British version, they they focus more on they don't like the Germans. Oh, oh like, yeah. They're still hurting from the war. They're, these people in this store remember the, the air raids and shit. Yeah, this is the 70s. You know, Mrs. Slocum, they do take her joke and kind of adapt it a little bit for Charlotte Ray. But yeah, she, Mrs. Slocum is basically talking about when there were air raids and fucking bombs being dropped on yeah. London when she was, <laughs> I don't think a child. I think she was <laughs> an adult yeah. at that point. And but there, there is that level of, I mean, yes, we all lived through the war and Charlotte Ray certainly probably remembers the war, but she was not in constant fear of air raids in America. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but so. we're, we're definitely dealing with, I guess you could say residual post-war anti-Germanism yeah. in England, which was, I think, more than justified. <laughs> They uh, said they were sorry. Yeah. What? Well, what? Well, Jerry's. They. They. More than once they used the word, and I didn't know what that was until finally, when the manager said, "Okay, I've heard the word Jerry being used more than once here. Is this? Is this a problem?" And I'm. I'd never heard the word Jerry to describe a German. Am I? I, I don't know. Am I? Am I saying a really bad word when I say that? But um, I don't think it, uh, no, because I don't think anybody associates it with that anymore. We, at least not in this country. The word the yeah. word has no meaning for us. So, Mm-mm. yeah. 
So then we go back to the office and now we begin the visual jokes of everybody wearing lederhosen. We're in a business atmosphere and everyone's in short pants or short shorts. And uh, we do get some jokes out of it. We do get some stuff where Mr. Peacock walks in and says, you said my clothing would give me an air of authority. And he goes, yeah. And he says, well, I'm getting a lot of air and little authority. That was a pretty good. Right line, word for word from the British version. Word for word. And then when Lucas and Humphreys come out and Humphreys, same as in the British version, he is wearing the tightest, tiniest, short shorts, like tighter than Janet or Chrissy ever wore on Three's Company. It is freaking hysterical, really and truly. And then uh, they come out and we know that they've been rehearsing a dance Mrs. Slocum comes in and she's drunk on the German wine. She's been sampling the wine. So we get her coming in and Charlotte Ray doing the singing in the low, drunken voice. Not she's unlike doing a Marlena Dietrich. She's oh, of course. Marlena Dietrich song. What, what song um, is it? I couldn't recognize it. It's called Lily Marlene. Lily Marlene. Outside the barrack, by the corner light. That's where I stand and wait for you at night. We will create a world for two. I'll wait for you the whole night through. You are Lily Marlene. You are Lily Marlene. <laughs> Don't ask me why I know that song because wow. I was a gay kid and loved Marlene Dietrich <laughs> as a kid. I learned well, all of her songs in German by, um, wow. by listening to them. Wow. I didn't think you could get gayer, and you just did. Ich bin von Kopf bis Fuß auf liebe Eigenstell, auf liebe Eigenstell und sonst gar nicht. It's like she's here. It's You call me the rich little of this yeah. podcast. Wow. Yeah. You do the men voices. I do the girl voices. Do the girls. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's what if to, to sort of connect it to something facts of life. Remember in season one when they were doing something French themed and Mrs. Garrett came out in the horizontal striped French black and white top and yes. they were encouraging her even though she wasn't comfortable. And she starts going, I love Paris in the springtime. I love Paris in the fall. Same type of a routine. That's just, yeah. that's uh, in, in Charlotte Ray's big bag of funny. And yeah, we're, we're here for it. We're totally here for it. So then Mr. Bean comes in. It's like, oh, Mr. Bean is coming, uh, the old Mr. Bean. So he comes in through the elevator, followed by a big German oompa band. And uh, he's like, who are these people? Did he say, who are these Huns or something? So, yeah. In the, in, the stage ver- in, the, in the stage version, in the British version, he comes down and he says, um, he goes, who are all these damn Germans in the elevator? <laughs> But yeah, he goes, what's with the Huns or something like that? And yeah. the joke is that they are dressed as German band, but they are indeed a mariachi band. Yeah. When he says, because, who are they? He yeah. says, I went to the trouble of hiring an authentic German band. Are you ready? And you hear, si, senor. 
yeah. and they start playing this German umpa song live on the stage. And they have a full on choreographed dance, which they did in the original version as well. And the dance is broken where Mrs. Slocum insists that Mr. Peacock making the slap move toward her slapped her a little too hard. And so as they're demonstrating, you're supposed to slap like this. I did slap you like that. I'm going to slap it. So it kind of escalates into almost a brawl. And uh, and it's uh, it's pretty freaking funny and absolutely absurd. Yeah. Absolutely absurd. And I love that that is one of the lesser absurd things (laughs) that happens in the British version. Wow. Like, oh, David, you have to treat yourself to watch. Are you being I, served? It I is, guess I do. It is fucking ridiculous. Okay. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculous. So, anyway. So, in the post mortem after this whole thing and the dance and all that, it's uh, young. Young Bean is just like, okay, this clearly was a disaster. Oh, oh, yeah. and 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 the slapping escalates too. This is only for the American version with uh, Mrs. Slocum turning to slap Peacock really hard. She misses him and hits Young Bean and he flies into a table of food and a display that crashes down. It's a big physical bit and and pretty funny and, yeah. and effective. It's, it's pretty, pretty bad looking. It looks pretty disastrous. So young Mr. Bean is thinking, well, this is it. This was so terrible. This was a, a catastrophe. I'm going to have to resign. And old Mr. Bean is like, not so fast. I loved it. He's like, what do you mean? And he says, well, Ingrid, my secretary, was thinking of leaving, but now she's going to stay because you all made her feel so welcome. So now I have my beautiful, tall, gorgeous, big titted secretary that's going to stick around for a while. So the button of the whole episode, it may have been a lousy week for the store, but it was a great week for me. And they end it going back into the dance again, this time with Mr. Johnson, the maintenance man, joining in wearing the German spiked helmet. And and thus we end the pilot. And I do I do enjoy that the British version, that's how they would always end. The British version was always mm-hmm. like a close-up of the person like on the side, like with Yeah! It was always just like, the British version is done like a stage play. Oh, totally. It's, it's totally. very obvious that they are just literally going from scene to scene. But I really, really enjoyed it. I was not mad at this at all. And if the original series is even better than I guess, clearly I need to add it to my list of over 10 bazillion hours of shows I need to watch. It's just something you can put on at the end of the night and and know that you're not, that mainly you're going to be like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) I think the best part of all of this David is the commercials that they left in. Oh my God. We have shit to discuss. Oh my God. Do we want to start with the very first commercial after the opening theme before the show even starts? This is in the YouTube video. Tutti Fruities, you can you can see this. The first commercial is for I almost said KFC. It's actually Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's what they called it back then. Yeah. And why don't why don't you describe what happens in your thoughts, David? 
I, it just, it opened up Pandora's box. Like how they're, they're pushing K- Kentucky fried chicken as the healthy option, <laughs> David. The, the line is we're eating out, but we're eating right. Yes. How bad was fucking McDonald's and fast food that Kentucky Fried Chicken was the healthy option? <laughs> was Kentucky Fried Chicken the fucking sweet tomatoes of 1979 no. or what? It's one of those, did we understand so little about health? And did we clearly not have access to the internet to verify facts or whatever? But yeah, the commercial, we see a family maneuvering their way through a carnival. And as they're going through the carnival, the it's one of those, the announcer is talking to the people on camera. So it's like a, hey, where are you going? Yeah. And the kids are like, we're going to get something to eat. What you going to get? Pizza? Nope. Burgers? Nope. Tell them, dad, we're going to Kentucky Fried Chicken. Why? And the, the rationale is because the colonel uses only fresh grade A chicken. Yeah. That day batter dip and drop into a vat of oil that that grade a chicken absorbs and sends your cholesterol through the roof yeah this is when trans fat was acceptable like i don't know they were basically (laughs) frying it in lard for god's sake back the simpler times of 1979 matthew when trans fats were acceptable and trans people were not yeah Mm-hmm. Which made, I will say it, I would like to actually, I would like to taste like, because when Chicken McNuggets came out, <gasps> they were, they were delicious. Oh, oh my and they God. were dipped in like not vegetable oil, I don't think, were they? No, it, so, no, it was probably like suet and lard <laughs> and animal, like, yeah. like I'd like to taste them now as an adult and see if like I can, you know, like, oh, what's the difference between... A one that's quote unquote healthier today yeah. than the fried chicken of because Kentucky fried chicken, while it is delicious, uh, <laughs> it's not, like you eat it now and you're like, oh, yeah, God. I mean, compared oh. to like Publix chicken, Publix is oh. our one of our local big grocery store chains. Yeah. Their chicken, their fried chicken, I mean, KFC tastes like crap compared yeah. to. The Publix, because it, it is fresh made at Publix, KFC. Yeah. It allegedly is made on site, but ooh, the corners they've cut over the years with that recipe. Uh, yeah, KFC, I the I can't remember when I had it most recently, but it's like, ooh, this mm-hmm. just does not taste this. It definitely, no fast food tastes the way it did when we were kids. No. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. I've had friends who've traveled overseas and said, uh, with different regulations of how they prepare food in other countries and in Europe and stuff. It's like, they've had McDonald's and gone, oh my God, this is, a, you know, and I'm, I'm sure it's like, yeah, and you're gonna have a fucking heart attack and keel over dead in five minutes because yeah. God knows what awfulness it was prepared in. But anyway, so yeah, I agree. And I watched this with Steve, Steve Miller, my best friend. Two days later, he said to me, by the way, I'm still giggling at KFC. Oh, oh, and the slogan that ends it, it's like the song in the jingle. It's nice to feel so good about a meal. Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
And, and we won't even talk about the nightmare fuel of a quote unquote theme park that they are walking through where there's these big orange and yellow fur characters that don't resemble anything human. It's like, yeah, no wonder you're leaving the theme park and not going to the hot dog stand or the, or the pizza booth. It's, it's like frigging your children are traumatized. I think. Well, those are the era of HR puffin stuff, right? So <laughs> I, oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. If Sid and Marty Croft around. were making TV, then those weren't the weirdest things we were seeing. Uh, well, what else about the commercials? What, what other commercials did you have thoughts about? The other one I enjoyed was anatomy of seduction, yeah. the TV movie of the week. With Rita Moreno, wasn't it? Was yes. Rita Moreno in it? <laughs> yep. And her son's dating a woman that's her age. Oh. Yes. It's about a divorced mother having an affair with the friend of her college age son. Yeah. And the son in the relationship, not, not the son, the friend having the affair with the older woman is the son of Rita Moreno. And one of the clips is just Rita Moreno emphatically saying, she is my age. And it's like, oh, honey, you ain't been in Hollywood long enough and it ain't going to get better. <laughs> to which the woman who's having the affair says so emphatically, why can't I have the one thing that makes me happy? <laughs> really? That 24 year old making that 20 year old making you happy? OK, well, right. again, anatomy of a seduction. I think it might be a part of his anatomy. She's saying is the one thing That's true that that could be there. Yeah. Any other commercials of note before we well, head on our way? There was, there was one at the end where um, the, the cereal commercial. You mean um, Kellogg's Graham Crackos? Yeah, yeah, I do. Crackos with an apostrophe. Yeah, apostrophe. Not, not plural. Graham Cracko apostrophe S. Really, Kellogg? Yeah. Really? But my question about that was the milkman shows up. <laughs> milkman saying oh look at this look at this new cereal goes great with milk a milkman i mean milkman did exist in 79 but wow they were on their way out did wow. they really like mm -hmm. people were still getting milk dropped off on their fucking porch we in 1979 uh, i don't know how long we did it i mean because we were you know family with two kids and we drank so much milk growing up but yeah we used to get it was it was from hood hood was the new england uh, big dairy company. And yeah, so we used to have a, a hood delivery of, you know, like three half gallons of milk twice a week or something like that. But yeah, we'd had that into the seventies. I'm not sure how it probably stopped once we were old enough. It says here, I just typed it in. When did milk, when did milkmen stop? And it says milkmen have been disappearing from daily life since the fifties when refrigerators became more common in American homes. Oh, so it was delivering it before it went bad because refrigerators couldn't keep it. Huh, interesting. But I agree with you. The, the milkman, you know, being the, oh, check these out. You get graham cracker and milk taste in every bite. And it's so funny because now we look at this stuff. It's like, who needs graham crackers for breakfast? The idea that just be this bowl of fucking sugar. Cereal is still very prevalent in our lives and in our society, but at least we all kind of get it. I don't think we did back then. No, we absolutely didn't. 
No. What cereal was, was something that the kids could go and get themselves and pour in a bowl and pour the milk. And you didn't have to fucking lift a finger or do anything. The whole absentee parenting of the seventies and the eighties. That was a. (laughs) Well, it's like here, it'll give you energy for the day. Yeah. It'll send your blood sugar skyrocketing and then you're going to crash around 1030. But that was just me. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing of note is Cheryl Ladd for Wella Balsam Shampoo. And it's Cheryl Ladd looking fucking gorgeous. And I mean, the hair, I mean, God damn, she was stunning, really and truly. But the big thing was that strong hair is beautiful hair. It's all about, well, a balsam strengthens your hair. And yeah. uh, here's how it strengthens your hair. Let's cut to this cartoon that we drew to show you the way these animated bubbles surround a shaft of hair and make the, it's, it's just like, wow. Um, yeah, science, science would have been helpful too, but okay, we'll take a cartoon and a friggin' Barbie doll from a woman cop show uh, to tell us, I, I need stronger hair. I need that Wella Balsam. Cheryl Ladd uses it. So, yeah. you know. I'll be as pretty as she is. God willing. <laughs> well, David, what a- I wish there had been at least a season of Beans of Boston. But at the same time, I wonder, because I don't know the timeline, if there was a season, would we have not had Mrs. Garrett? True. So true. If she had been committed to one or the other, would she have had to make a choice? And uh, would they have recast either Mrs. Garrett or Mrs. Slocum? Um, it's so funny that domino effect, isn't it? Because if that had, if Beans of Boston had happened, you and I would not be sitting here right now. True, very true. Yeah. And the people listening to us talk about it would not be sitting there listening to us talk about it. And and that's fascinating to me. Like, would Facts of Life had had happened without her? Yeah, because they did have that Dorothy Loudon show where they tried to make her a school marm at a girl's school that didn't work. Dorothy. Um, but I just I don't know. It's we might have honestly, we very well could have still had facts of life if there had been a different Mrs. Garrett, because remember, NBC's ratings were so low. Gary Coleman is the one that made different strokes so popular and such a hit. And they were like, spin something off from that. So assuming her, it was her chemistry with him that made them say, spin her off. It wasn't, it wasn't Dana Plato where they were like, (laughs) let's spin her off and send her to school. It was let's spin her off and send her to school. And I mean, honestly, you start to wonder because of the failure of beans of Boston, would Kim Fields have a career? Would Lisa Welch have a, would Natalie, we would not know Mindy Cohn. True. No facts of life. No Mindy Cohn. So Charlotte true. Ray was the one who picked her out of that crowd. So wow. thank God Beans of Boston failed. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving behind this one pilot that I genuinely enjoyed. And clearly you've said it to me before. And clearly now I've had a taste of it. I clearly need to go back and uh, look at a few of them. Yeah. All right. For August 2021, TV Talkaholics, are we ready to go back on the wagon for another month? Uh, I'm going to try my best to go back on the wagon and not watch a horrible TV show. (laughs) We'll we'll do our best. 
Okay. Well, guys, for me and Matthew, thank you again so much for being our 2D fruities, for supporting the show. We love you very much. And uh, we'll be back next month. And in between now and then, we will see you or hear you or you will hear us on Let's Face the Facts. Bye. Show me to the house fart. <laughs> That's the exit, David. Oh, so. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the fourth. Don't you call in the. <laughs>